0: Large pharmaceutical companies have grown increasingly interested in rare diseases, but acquisitions of rare disease companies by large biopharmaceutical companies may lead to a cultural mismatch that hinders the development and performance of their products. We spoke to Alan Gilbert, co-chairman of the global strategic consulting firm Bioness Partners and co-author of a February 2016 analysis in Vivo*: Orphans Should Live Alone. Gilbert discussed how small, rare-disease-focused companies operate differently than large pharmaceutical companies, the essential role their relationship with patients play, and why big companies that acquire rare-disease drug developers would be best to leave them alone. Alan, thanks for joining us.
1: You're welcome. You're most welcome. Very nice uh, speaking with you.
0: You recently co-authored a piece in In Vivo that suggests small firms are better suited to develop and commercialize orphan drugs than large pharmaceutical companies. An issue of growing concern as large drug makers have embraced rare diseases as a, an area of potential growth. Maybe you can begin with a question of culture. H- how do the cultures of a rare disease-focused company Differ from a more diversified large commercial company.
1: Okay, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, if you go back uh, historically, uh, there are there is one uh, one major component differing uh, large uh, pharma product development. I'm, I'm looking at it from an overall product development, from the R and D to the clinical, and then to the approval. We can talk about the rest later. But if I take about that one. Um, rare disease, uh, by itself involves a very little number of patients, uh, differ throughout the different disease, rare disease itself, but it's very small number of patients. And, uh, when, uh, a compound or a product uh, has been identified, the, uh, the number of patients to, uh, go through the clinic, uh, is, is historically very small. Uh, and does not necessarily, has not necessarily followed, uh, the rules that have been sort of dictated by, uh, by big pharma, which is a very large number of patients, phase one, phase two, phase three, sometimes two, phase three to go, you know, to go forward. On the, on the rare disease, you end up maybe with maybe sometimes 10, 15 patients, uh, and then sometimes you can even have, uh, uh, only a phase two uh, that uh, could be followed up, uh, you know, at, at, uh, at the approval level by uh, by further investigation. So, on the, from a culture of development, it's only separated or or, or individual startup that have been able to, uh, you know, put it through and uh, sort of, uh, you know, um, pave the way with the FDA and uh, EMEA and Europe to uh, get approval. So that's that's one thing. There are many other elements of uh, of culture that I uh, that I uh, I could come up with, you know, maybe on the commercial side. But on the development, I think it's the most fundamental one. Historically, most of the product were developed by these small company, not by the big pharma. Because of that,
0: you, you've said that the the contrast between large and small firms is sharpest in the rare disease space. Why is that? What what do these small firms do well that the large ones don't do well?
1: The uh, like I said, the, ma- the major difference is uh, that they are able to uh, comprehend you know, sort of a clinical program that's sort of a cut corner, if you will, smaller number of patients, not going through the whole thing where 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 big pharma. Is. Kind of hard for them to comprehend that uh, throughout their uh, their own structure, so they they tend not to uh, agree with this approach, which means that uh, these products uh, do not uh, you, know, you know do not come out.
0: I I don't think I've ever run into a pharmaceutical company that didn't claim to be patient focused. What does it mean to be patient focused, and, and why does this particularly matter in the rare disease space?
1: Uh, that's a very good question too. The uh, uh, the patient centricity or the patient focus uh, is uh, determined by again at the development stage. You know, patient associations uh, uh, are have been put together claiming that they need uh, uh, de- a product to be developed, and uh, and therefore under pressure from these associations, some startups have emerged, and uh, and essentially uh the development of a product is really following the following the patient in big pharma the development is is, is mostly done between the institution you know the, the the big pharma and the prescriber the potential prescriber the key opinion leader here uh all of the centricity of development and that later on will be uh on uh, the commercialization is done much more with the patient being involved and patient association being involved rather than only and solely the key opinion leader or the prescriber.
0: Uh, the, the FDA is putting greater weight on the patient voice. H- how does this change the dynamic for drug developers? And, and does, this, does this require them to think differently about the way they interact with patients?
1: Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it, uh, for, for one, uh, the patient... Uh, and through the patient association essentially, uh, have a tremendous weight on, uh, sort of a cutting the corner on the, on the clinical development. When uh, a small number of group of patients, uh, suddenly see a, a, compound that can be extremely efficient, they will put a lot of pressure on the, uh, under the regulatory authorities together with the, uh, the developer, you know, the, the startup that will develop the product and, uh, and because of that pressure uh which is again uh uh patient oriented uh historically over the last 10, 15 years uh there is there was a number of changes done at the f d a or uh, in europe and through the regulatory agency on the no, on, on normal on normal product uh you know approach is standardized uh very little patient involvement, very little patient association involvement, much more involvement by the key opinion of the prescriber.
0: As large pharmaceutical companies have grown interested in rare diseases, we've seen different levels of success. You you note Shire and Sanofi, which have made big acquisitions and, and managed to keep their rare disease operations focused. Uh, on the other hand, companies such as Pfizer and GlaxoSmithKline have weighed in with much less success. What's the difference between the ones that have succeeded and the ones who
1: haven't? Uh, Well, the one that have succeeded, um, by the way, is to be seen. Uh, uh, Sanofi has uh, uh, made a buyout of Genzyme and rightfully under uh, the former management uh, of Sanofi has uh, kept the company separated. Uh, and essentially, uh, you know, nurtured by itself, uh, as, as a sort of a separate unit. Now, uh, now we have heard that that is changing. You know, Genzyme is, uh, sort of a, maybe kept with the brand name, but, but from an organization viewpoint, fully integrated with the rest of the organization. That, from our viewpoint, will have a, a negative effect on product development and, uh, will, uh, Go back to what I was explaining earlier: not giving enough sort of, uh, freedom and, uh, and independence to the people to develop, develop the product. On the Shire case, it's a very interesting case. Shire uh, used to be a, a very small, uh, rare disease-focused uh, organization, and they have uh, gone through, if I recall, four five acquisition, and the latest one uh, was over 30 billion uh, with Baxalta. So the question is for them, would they be able to keep um, uh, this uh, sort of uh, independence of each of the units that they have acquired? Uh, My my feeling is that the culture of this organization is deep enough that they will. Uh, But it's to be seen, and particularly with the latest acquisition of Baxalta, that uh, is a big company by itself. This was a spin-off of Baxter, as you probably remember. So that's to be seen. Uh, But these two cases... Uh, are interesting to, uh, look at. Uh, the last one is Biomaran. Biomaran was again a very small, uh, uh, rare disease company. They have done, uh, two acquisitions and they seem to keep these acquisitions separate and continue to manage them, you know, the sort of a proper way, uh, you know, by putting company, these companies, these units sort of a separate
0: you know there there's a new dynamic that appears to be emerging in the rare disease space that's competition within disease areas this is not only from the the threat of biosimilars but there are late stage pipelines that offer drugs that will be going after established competitors how do you see this changing the the rare disease space
1: uh i i, I you know i don't know if it's going to change i think i think that the, the small uh in the smaller initiative uh, either a startup or a new product within the sort of a larger one will continue to develop it the same way uh, the uh, issue uh, will arise uh, because of the number of those products because a lot of effort has been done over the last uh, you know 15 20 years there's going to be a lot of products and the issue will be more at the at the payer level you know more and more of those they're expensive. Why they are, they, why are they expensive? Because it's a small patient population. So how much of the, uh, sort of a reimbursement system or the payment system will swallow, uh, a number of those. But, but from an overall dynamic of development, I see absolutely no difference. Uh, the only difference is whether or not uh, a Sanofi or with Genzyme or uh, with we will be able to develop new power, but the small companies will continue to, uh, you know, plow through some of those uh, rare disease products.
0: If you're a rare disease, if you're a large pharmaceutical company looking to acquire a rare disease company, is there a better time to do this? Does it require a certain level of development or commercialization that would provide a better chance of success?
1: Uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very smart question. I think that the best time would be uh, at the time that the rare disease company is is fully established, with the product on the market with the commercialization, uh, you know, uh, organization, so that by the time big pharma acquire them, they keep them alone, they keep them separate, and they they use, and they can use for themselves, the, you know, the, the sort of... Uh, management and and try to transfuse that that culture within their own uh, their own development because it has a value but if you if on the contrary they would hire they would they would buy uh, a company under development uh, without having gone to the full commercialization there is a fair chance that the whole thing is going to be swallowed into a larger you know commercial uh, machine that if uh, pharma typically has so fully full fledged rare disease uh, uh, initiative should be the one that a big pharma buy, knowing that they have
0: to keep it separately. And for larger pharmaceutical companies that want to pursue M&A in the rare disease space, is, is there an M&A strategy that makes sense? Are there ways they should wall off acquisitions or work to maintain their focus to ensure greater success? Uh,
1: the, the, the word of caution I would give them uh, would be to uh, – To not really too much look at 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 that 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 you have described, but more uh, be absolutely uh, adamant about keeping these units separately. If if they think they can integrate, uh, that would be bad for uh, for them. It would be bad for the company they would acquire because the overall uh, the the chances for which the overall uh, initiative would sort of uh, die over time is high. If they keep it separately, I think it's going to be good. So more it's it's more of a strategy approach that they have to. uh, by in before doing uh, MA.
0: Alan Gilbert, co founder and co chair of global strategic consulting firm Bioness Partners and co author of the article Orphans Should Live Alone in the February 2016 issue of InVivo. Alan, thanks so much for your time.
1: Okay, you're welcome. Thank you very much to you.
0: Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community,